Welcome to Mission Daily. Today, Chad sits down with Michelle Bolos, founder and CEO of NT Concepts. NT, which stands for Next Tier, is a leading national security solution provider, applying AI and machine learning solutions to help strengthen the operations of government agencies in the U.S., specifically the Department of Defense. NT Concepts is on the forefront of the digital edge with their innovative practices, and the company continues to thrive due to Michelle and her team. Michelle led the company through the dot-com bust and through the national recession of 2008, displaying her ability to survive in even the toughest of markets. On this episode of Mission Daily, Michelle talks about the genesis of NT Concepts, how she managed to carry her company through not one, but two recessions, and the importance of being a servant leader. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Michelle, I'm curious, when did the idea for NT Concepts, like, did it come all at once over the course of like a couple of years? Um, how do you describe the genesis of, you know, the uh, the company and kind of how it got started? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so when I graduated from college, I started with a company and worked there for four years. There were some cultural things that I, I wasn't a fan of back then. And I decided to, um, this was back in the dot-com explosion days. And so the developers were being sought after, um, good developers were being sought after. And so I decided when I left that company that I was going to go out on my own. Developers back then, um, we uh, we were kind of, we had middlemen companies who would uh, contract us out. And so it was really easy to find work at that point. But at some point, I just got started getting too much work. And that was the premise to the catalyst to start NT Concepts. Um, so it wasn't this aha moment. It was just in a, to take the middleman out and start my own company. And it just kind of happened that way. And so I'm curious to know what's your, uh, your background like in athletics and business? I know you're an avid cycler and I think Antique Concepts is your first and only business. How does that kind of background uh, influence, you know, you building the business? And um, yeah, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. So, well, I, you know, I was traditionally a soccer player. I've been playing soccer since I was five years old, um, played throughout college and, um, and only hung up my cleats uh, when I was about 45 years old. And that had a lot to do with my knees. But I've always loved cycling as well. And uh, cycling is easier on the knees. And so I, I threw out really the company and all the way up until I had kids, I was um, uh, enjoying that sport and enjoying soccer and enjoying cycling. And your question was, how did they tie together? Yeah, just like how does the background in athletics and cycling, um, you know, do you feel like that has helped you? Uh, because in entrepreneurship, I think it's tough when, you know, this is your your one and only business, right? That's not, uh, you didn't have like a, a background of past successes to look back to. You know, did sports provide that type of, um, you know, past success that you could look back to and say like, yeah, you know what? I got this because, you know, you're biking 13 miles most days or more. For a while, it was 100 miles a week. It just depend. It depended. So I think that an entrepreneurial spirit is within somebody. And I'm not, I think all sports did was gave me confidence. It showed me how to work on a team. And cycling is an individual sport, but soccer is very much a, a team sport. But if you kind of look back in my earlier days when, you know, I was uh, had summers off and the kids in the neighborhood would all go and play, 
um, together, there was always something that we were creating. We would have camps and, you know, um, we would invite all of the younger kids and we would join up and do, do camps. When I, when I went to college, I had to take out loans for my first year, but my second year, I ended up working for a woman who owned an apartment building. And I thought, well, gosh, I could do that too. So I ended up convincing my dad to help me co-sign a mortgage. And um, I ended up renting out this apartment building and I never had to take out another loan. So these types of adventures, I would call them, it was really embedded in me. So starting the company didn't feel like this uh, big risk. Uh, It was just me. If I failed, it was just going to be me at that point because I wasn't married and I did not have kids. I think it was always in me, but you have to have those champions around you uh, cheerleading you on. And it sounds like your father was a champion and a supporter. I'm curious to know, you know, is there one or maybe two lessons from him that you, you know, refer to from time to time in business? My dad taught me how to be a servant leader. He had to, he just reminded me to constantly show empathy. Uh, You might not always give somebody what they want. But if you show empathy, the conversation goes much better. He always taught me accountability. Look, you're not going to be perfect. Uh, Fall on your sword. Uh, Move on. And I believe those two, I I have what it's called a heat method, which is my mantra in in leadership. And heat for me stands for honesty, empathy, accountability, and trust. And my father taught me those middle two, and he showed me the my bookends. And so for that, I, I'm forever grateful for his guidance in that. Very cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So I'm curious, NT Concepts gets going 1998 or so. There's uh, a boom time. It's, you know, things are probably very exciting. And when you're getting started, what were the first couple big contracts like? Were they from the private sector? Were they from the government? What was that like? And were you you know, screaming for joy when you closed the first couple or yeah, what was it like? So when I first started NT Concepts, it was because I had too much work in that dot-com and the dot-com frenzy was crazy. We grew very quickly in a short amount of time, but I could see the bubble was going to burst. I could just feel it. And so for the first seven years, we did 100% private um, industry And then I decided to diversify into the government sector, which is not an easy nut to crack. Um, So I made a couple strategic hires to help me uh, penetrate the government space. I naively thought at that time that I can maintain a 50% private industry and then a 50% government mix. Um, But I quickly learned that it is not possible to uh, win business in both areas and have the same sales force, completely different um, businesses. And so when we started, we really won our first large contract in the private industry, which helped fuel the work in the government industry. But when we started, we finally cracked that nut and was in the government space. It did not take very long to completely shift and go 100% government. Um, the people you hire, the types of um, the type of work that you're doing, very very different than the commercial world. And I'm sure that being in DC too is like when you're out on the street, when you're walking, when you're going to dinner. There's uh, a lot of talented people around there. So when it comes to like recruiting and retention, how do you go about that? And are you you know actively recruiting right now? I'm curious to know like what type of folks are you looking for and positions? Yeah, we are always actively recruiting. Um, so. Who we're looking for. 
there's a difference between a position that we're looking for and a type of person we're looking for. The core values in our in our company and the culture in our company are extremely important to us. So when when we're out there looking for for people, there's usually three top things that people are looking for in a company. They're looking to see if the values line up. They're looking to see if the company is a culture fit. And they honestly, they just want to work with really great people. So we're very intentional when we're out there hiring to hire to our core values. So we'll almost guarantee that we're always going to work with people that we like. But overall, that formula creates this great team, exceptional leaders, and really, it's what drives our, our customer growth is having a real strong leadership team. But position-wise, we're always looking for data scientists, developers, young, um, more experienced. It's uh, always looking to add to our team. Very cool. And I'm, I'm curious, as you look at the landscape of colleges and different accreditation programs and boot camps and things like Lambda School, um, what's your experience been so far recruiting candidates from uh, non-traditional backgrounds like that. All right. So in the field that we're in, um, people need to have clearances and there is this little chicken egg thing that's, that's happening in industry. And our industry is starting to get a little smarter on how to solve that problem. Somebody who's in school, who has an incredibly amount of talent cannot get cleared until they have a job to get cleared. So it's this chicken egg thing. And by the time they get out of school, they're not willing to stick around for a year or two and weren't not necessarily have a place for them to sit for a year or two waiting for that clearance. So one of our customers are really creative here and said, look, we need to have better succession planning. We have a lot of people who are retiring out of our community. We don't have enough workforce coming in from the collegiate level. And so they started working with teams like ours and allowing us to recruit out of the colleges at maybe their junior year, start them on the clearance without having a position necessarily to put them in and allow us to start the clearance process. But So by the time they're seniors and they're graduating from school, they have a full clearance and experience and ready to be put into the workforce. Our government has to be a little bit better about opening this type of situation up there or else we are we're losing out to the commercial world. We're losing out to the non-DOD world. And, and we really need that talent in there. Especially when it comes to security and cybersecurity, where the rules are still being written in real time and it's not quite clear, you know, which cyber attacks constitute an act of war. And it gets very, very dicey there. Why are you interested in security? It's something I'm fascinated with. And it's really on the forefront of every nation state and every government's mind right now. Um, so what led to your interest in security? So security is what, uh, national security is what our customer's main mission is. And our job is to, to support our customers. So security comes in many different flavors, physical security, information security, network security, personnel security. And, um, and we just take pride in helping our, our customer you know, keep the nation safe. So it's, it's not like one day I woke up and said, ha, ah, we're going to go into the national security space, but it, uh, our solutions led us there and we've morphed. Um, and really it, it's, it's our job to take on the mission of our customer and, and help them be successful at that. 
in your time in national security, um, how have you seen the landscape change? And, you know, did you start out and start to learn from people who had been in for many, many years? Did you just learn on your own? Yeah. What was that process like? Well, so NT Concepts has worked with um, four different administrations over time, pre-9-11 and post-9-11. The administrations change, policies change, but really at the heart of it, everybody who is working in that national security side has a mission to keep our nation safe, to allow industry to prosper, to allow us to walk on the street. And so we have a whole ton of people who are outward facing in our military that we owe a gratitude of thanks um, for not only their um, service, but for their sacrifice. But there are hundreds of thousands of people behind the scenes as well who don't ask for it. Hey, they don't ask for the thanks um, and neither does our military, but they're behind the scenes. They're the wizard behind the curtain um, to keep all of us safe and it's, uh, it's something that they um, rarely are thanked for, uh, but it's been under attack recently. I agree. I, there's just so much nuance there that uh, trying to attack someone that has an almost impossible job is, you know, rarely the right answer. And I think that taking it back to that servant-oriented attitude is perfect because, you know, those responders and people in the intelligence community and in the military uh, are definitely putting themselves and their families at risk. So. You know, it's through that service and creating a culture like you have that I think allows them to be a bit more safe. So when you're working each day and you're building your teams and you're taking on new government projects, what does your daily schedule look like? Is there a typical day? Is there a typical week for you? As a, as a CEO of NT Concepts, I handle um, most of the information on the outside of the company. I'm outside talking with um, whether I need to talk to customers or other CEOs, partners, uh, sitting on boards, running my fiduciary board. And then everything on the inside is run by Darren Powers, who's the president of our organization. And so we have lanes that we stay in. We collaborate often. And I'm there to serve him. I'm there to help him grow and lead his his the part of the organization. And is there anything that you've done uh, professionally to kind of build your ability to uh, communicate and kind of you know build trust and uh, work on heat with Darren, with Darren or any of the other uh, executives? I'm curious to know. Uh, you know, do you all use executive coaches? Are are you all? Do you have like an executive book club? What's that professional development process like? First of all and foremost, Darren in capital encapsulates our core values. And culturally, he leads the organization that way. So some of our core values is all about inspiring growth and um, welcoming entrepreneurs, um, embracing our diversity. And he does that in many different ways. We do have um, coaches, uh, one one person in particular who um, comes in and meets with all of our executor, executive level. And then for every executive team meeting, she's involved in it. Uh, I kind of call her the, you know, our counselor. It's, it's one thing about coaching, but it's more important to figure out how to work with different people. We all stand on the same foundation, but we're all very different and we all 
you know, whether it's a disc model that she's going to go after or just a, um, what motivates people, she will remind, well, if you had an issue with it, it may be because this is the way that this person responds and try it differently. Oh boy, has that made a huge difference in our, our team. Hiring to those core values is one thing, but actually living uh, with those core values and the and creating that culture really takes some hand-holding, and, and Darren's done a phenomenal job uh, with his coaches with that. Very cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And during, so you, you've been through, as CEO of the company, two financial recessions that were pretty serious, uh, and I'm sure that there were quarters maybe of declining revenue. And in my research, I read that you hadn't laid off any team members. I was wondering, is that true? And then what did it take to do that? Because I would imagine it required some sacrifice on on your part. So how did you manage that as a CEO? Yeah, so that that is a true statement. The first um, recession was right after the dot-com explosion. Not letting go of anybody was really important to me because, you know, you spent so much time building this team. And the only way that I could afford it was because I, I tended to be a pretty good saver. And so I took the money that was in the company and reinvested it into, into the employees. They, they spent a good year learning a new platform that Microsoft was putting out, which took everybody to the, the next level. And, you know, it was kind of like crickets um, for that year. It, it wasn't a comfortable situation, but we all rallied together and we worked together. And a year later, that was when we won our very first large contract. Back then, it was a $5 million contract. And we won it on the basis that our developers were retrained in this new um, platform. And they, you know, grew, we grew very rapidly after that. The second recession, and, and not only recession, but we've also lived through several um, government shutdowns, which is, is difficult to weather as well, uh, especially when you have people on payroll and they have insurance and they rely on that. We did not feel at all that we should lay off anybody or tell everyone to go home and not pay them. Everybody got paid and it's only because of the extra the resources. I, I um, have been always a good saver and I just tap into those resources for that emergency situation. Just like I do in my personal life, we do it also in the, in my professional life. And there is a, there's some really good things that come out of that. When your employees see the way that you treat them, they stick with you. And I have a lot of team members who have been with me for a very long time. And, and for that, I feel really blessed. That is a blessing because anytime you have that shared history, it's, uh, it's so fun to reminisce. And if you have opportunities to create nostalgia in a workplace, uh, that doesn't happen often. So it's always fun when it does. In the DC area, and as you're looking out at uh, maybe K through 12 schools, how are you thinking about uh, STEM and STEAM? I know these are topics that are passionate, uh, that you're passionate about. Um, how are you thinking about getting more young people involved in STEM and STEAM and computer science and things like that? Everybody's brain is wired differently. And as a parent, we have to encourage our kids to follow their strengths. Um, for years and years, girls just didn't, follow their strength if it was in the STEM world because it was so um, male dominated. And the only way that, that we can encourage that is uh, to build confidence 
if they are strong in STEM, allow them to touch and feel. Uh, don't put them in a box and say, this is the way it's going to be. So for example, if, if a child's brain is wired to go towards STEM, encourage it. If their brain is wired toward leadership or entrepreneurship, encourage that. If they're very right brain and they love the arts, then encourage that side. But we need to build their confidence, give our girls a voice, and get out of their way. Um, and if that path leads them to STEM, that's great. And if not, it, that's okay as well. So yes, STEM is important to me, but I'm certainly not going to push it in a child whose brain thinks differently than that. I love that. Yeah, I think the more voluntary we can uh, approach college and careers and skills, uh, the better, right? Because we've all felt the pressure of being pushed towards a certain career path that we didn't want to go on maybe. And uh, yeah, never a good feeling. And we all need each other, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's true. And yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of things I'm bad at. And um, I'm so glad there's other people that uh, love doing certain things like that. Exactly. Yeah. Michelle, in DC, and as you're thinking about like the next 10 years, if you're yeah, willing to go in this direction, I'd be curious to know, you can say true, false, and why to, uh, there's a couple questions here, and I'm hoping to run them by you. Um, the first is, Will there be more tech engineers who desire to work for the government over the private sector in the next 10 years? Is that true or false and why? Originally, I would say false. We're losing out in the government space to the private sector because the private sector is moving much faster than we can in the government. But it's cyclical. If the private sector tends to um, not have as many opportunities as the government uh, does, then it, it, it'll ebb and flow. But I, I, boy, seeing what I've seen in the last 10 years, I think that the government world is going to suffer for it. Not exactly optimistic, but I, I agree with you there. Next one. Artificial intelligence and machine learning will prevent more tragedies in the future and in those next 10 years than we could ever have imagined. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. There are things, look, policy is going to have to catch up with the ability. There are some things happening today that could change direction, but I think what's happening is that policy is going to prevent it. Self-driving cars were available in the 70s, but society was not ready for it. Some of the things that AI and ML can give us is, um, could save lives, could make things a lot more productive, but I'm not 100% sure our society is ready for it and our laws certainly are not. So it will be interesting to sit back and watch this morph over time. Look, the commercial market is already stepping ahead in this, but we have to also keep our moral compass and keep our, our laws intact to allow certain things to happen and, and not happen. And true or false and why? NT Concepts will have 2,000 employees in the next 10 years. True. We are a little over 1,000 right now. And I believe that the direction that the company is going, um, I have no doubt that we will uh, double in that time frame. And uh, final one, uh, true, false, and why? Will NT Concepts serve the private sector in the future? I don't think so. I believe that um, we've had the opportunity to serve the private sector, but our focus is on uh, the government right now. 
our experiences on the government, and we really have a lot to do to help our government catch up with uh, how fast the commercial world is working. And we certainly have the experience to, to guide them through that process. Thanks. That was the first time we've tried that new section. Thanks for bearing with me there. And final uh, section here, final questions. Uh, thank you for being generous with your time. Um, I'm hoping to get your take on, are there any uh, books or series or really any type of media out there that you're watching, you're consuming, that you think more people should? All right. So this is a, well, books, I read all of the time. And, and I actually need to rephrase that. I listen all of the time. I find myself having a difficult time actually picking up a physical book and reading, but I download a ton of material. And that's for whether it's self-help or leadership, guidance, they're, they're really great to listen to. But we have to be very careful where we get our news. We have to be um, very intentional to not immediately, you know, pass along something that we hear. And so I'm not sure it would be responsible for me to say, go and, and listen to this news outlet. But I think we all know which ones are leaning toward a certain ideal, ideology, and we have to be really careful and we have to learn our lessons from this last election and prevent that in the future. The great part about the internet is we get information out very quickly. The bad part is we get information out and sometimes it is not good information. So that that's all I would say with regards to that. I wish we had more um, people listening to podcasts like this or um, to learn and get their news from, you know, more credible sources like, like this. One of the things that's inspiring for us is that when we get to talk to C-level executives like yourself, uh, and if you weren't familiar, many of the podcasts in our network are geared towards C-level executives. And one of the great things about that is that it's real-time information from the front lines of the business world. And for everyone listening, it's pretty exciting because often, you know, your experiences, it's not like they're going to make it into a textbook next month. Uh, they certainly, you know, might be in, you know, part of like Georgetown entrepreneurship cur curriculum or something like that. Uh, but that takes a long time. So I'm curious, are there any podcasts that you're listening to and loving, or are there any uh, podcasters out there that you're getting high quality information from? I wish I could tell you a list of podcasts that I listen to, um, but I just don't have a large list. My experience has always been through TED Talks, quick 15, 18 minute inspiring conversations about subjects that I just love to learn a little bit more about. I, I love listening um, back in the days before they even called them podcasts. There were, um, you know, NPR had little segments. Um, there were uh, really great people that I used to, to follow on that. But today, I wish I had more time. Same here. Michelle, final question. So I am a parent. Uh, our son is 21, 21 months old right now. And we have two twin boys due at the end of March. And I believe you have two, two girls. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, as a CEO of a fast-growing company, is there any uh, parenting advice that I can uh, selfishly get from you? I don't know if this is good advice, but work will always be there. Your children will not. I have been very intentional to take the time away from work to spend with the kids. 
I am there most mornings. I am there most evenings. I'm a little selfish with my my time, especially now that they're getting in that um, you know teenage years. You should take off time and go to every school event and volunteer. That amount of time, it's only six years because when they're in seventh grade, they don't want you anywhere near them. But it is a joyful time and you don't want to pick up your head one day and say, gosh, I wish. I wish I had done this. Enjoy them. And congratulations to you. Twins. (laughs) Wise words and congratulations to you and everything you've accomplished. Is there a good place or are there a couple places for listeners to uh, get more information, maybe follow you or if they have a clearance or a TS clearance to reach out and uh, see if you have an open position? Oh, sure. Uh, Of course, our website is... um is a great place, uh, ntconcepts.com. You could certainly follow me on Twitter. I don't say a lot, but I do pass off uh, information when it's great information and I in uh, leadership side. And then of course, LinkedIn. And look, I'm, I'm fully transparent. If anyone wants to reach out and, and sit down and have a chat, if I can help them in any way, great. If they can help me, I'm always listening. And, uh, and so reach out. I'd I'd love to talk. Michelle, thank you so much and congratulations on everything you've built. All right, take care. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio and Katera who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.